old comers, newcomers, knickers, welcome. This is the 197th edition. If you don't know my name, it's Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we have got Kenneth Folk's Contemplative Fitness. My two favorite things, contemplating and fitness. We hit the philosophy curls here. The economic cardio. Another one. The biological bench press. I could do this all day. My favorite brain exercise, contemplative fitness. <laughs> Artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity. Maybe if we start telling people that their brain is an app, they'll start using it. In some people's head, you can see the wheels turning, but the hamster is dead. You're going, is there even a host there, or is this a, a joke machine? I'm Nick Muniz, bro, so <laughs> this guy's like a rock star. He's going from full natty state to Buddhist arhat today. You're learning the nine jhanas. We're just keeping it light, because this shit is such a douchey topic. I'm more awake than you. There really is shit to learn, and you're going to learn methodology for how to meditate today. Contemplative fitness as I teach it does not require the adoption of philosophical or religious beliefs. We're going to learn about a couple cults. I will not make claims about the structure of the universe or the ultimate nature of reality. I don't teach how to be right, smart, perfect, sanitized, or holy. I don't teach superpowers or extrasensory perception. Lame. I simply teach practical hands-on techniques that, when practiced diligently, can be utter transformative to human life. I'm saying this is working out for your brain. Nick's nonfiction, The Brain Gym, Tuesday's morning. I like to call modern Americans shrimp. This is unrelated. Did you know shrimp store their waste in their head? Did you know the UK has a law that if your IQ is too low, you can't reproduce? Let's say France doesn't have the same law. My family puts chlorine in our gene pool. What do you call a blonde who dyed her hair brown? Artificial intelligence. Holy crap! The Nickers will be right back. About the author Kenneth Folk. This book is a biography. We'll save the time. Hairy shit for a fun free meme at the end of every single night. Unless I'm in the wilderness, which happens often. Patreon.com slash the niche. A dollar. Three dollars. You go binge the whole backlog and then delete your membership. Something to mention before we start. We're going deep. Plato? Think about the oldest thinkers. Those guys were wrestlers. Do you want to debate a guy who could choke you out? Like, <laughs> all these fat professors. How do you take them seriously? Well, they don't even take their body seriously? But I'm just saying, the people who were still quoting 3,000 years later, they were th shredded. They were this meathead stereotype. It's bunk. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not talking about myself. I'm retired. But seriously, if you go to like the biggest guy at your gym and you try to pick a fight with him, he'll probably give you a hug. The biggest guy is always the friendliest and the smartest for some reason. He's doing dumbbell curls while he reads a book. This guy, Plato, smart as fuck. Desire, emotion, knowledge. That's what you get behavior from. These people put psychology into math problems. It's the gym. get this thing underway. We'll be right back. Chapter 1, Kenneth Folk, Contemplative Fitness. Contemplative Fitness. Meditation is much more than stress reduction. Meditation changes your brain. Do it enough and it will change your life. 
Just as we can speak of physical fitness and mental fitness, we can identify a branch of human development that we might call contemplative fitness. Contemplative fitness has to do with the kind of growth that comes from meditation and related contemplative practices. Its ultimate manifestation... You're not allowed to say that word today. Manifestation. Okay, so I got to take him down from the woo-woo. Manifestation is a kind of persistent well-being that is independent of external circumstances. A quest inward. It is, in essence, contemplative fitness, an art of being okay. And from the platform of being okay, the stage is set for very best of humanity to emerge. When you are okay, an enormous amount of energy is freed up to find out what it means to be truly human. I think that's another Plato one. Uh, from security comes confidence, from confidence comes hope, from hope comes unity. It's been said a million times. He's saying free up energy and you'll find out what it means to be human again. Look at a leaf. It's kind of cool. Ken, kid in the 60s. We got an old head alert. When I was a boy growing up in Southern California, the concept of physical fitness as we know it today did not yet exist. There had always been sports and athletes, of course, but those pursuits were of a special minority. 60s bodybuilders, I looked up pictures, they had no chest. Bodybuilding is on a whole nother level. I get obsessed with all these subcultures. <laughs> and so, of course, now mental fitness is getting bigger too. These people can astral project at will. If you just like tell this to a boomer, we've probably already lost them. Do some yoga, Pops. My back hurts. I'm in so much pain. Yoga? That's woo-woo. <laughs> There's another word for yoga. I think it translates to stretching. You know, if you just change the words, oh, your back hurts, maybe you should stretch. But once you call it yoga, people's guards go up. That's crazy talk. What the fuck is yoga? One early pioneer was Jack Lanon, who would eventually come to be seen as the godfather of fitness. I remember Jack Lanay as well. He had his own television show, was impressively muscular, charming, energetic, and always dressed in his trademark black or navy blue jumpsuit. He always seemed to be doing jumping jacks. The popular image of physical fitness in the 1960s was Jack Lanon doing jumping jacks. Before we all knew it, we were all doing jumping jacks. <laughs> My mom always had those Gilad tapes in. One, two. Dude, maybe that's why I'm obsessed with fitness. Gilad. <laughs> Quote, Most importantly, everyday folks who have no intention of ever playing a competitive sport understand the value of physical fitness and often make it a priority in their lives. So what I'm saying today, don't favor one or the other. If you favor the mind, you're going to be a fat professor douchebag who only knows one thing. And then if you favor the body you'll overtrain. Like you see the people in the gym for years, they never make it big. It's because they're favoring one thing over the other. Overtraining. You could do it in the mind or the body. Like, and you see contemplative fitness, we can make it relevant to today. Industrial society and its future. Motherfuckers can't listen to a sentence before they either interject or look at their phone. <laughs> Attention spans? Cooked. We look for inspiration to the Buddha, the Zen patriarchs, Ramana Marashi, or some saintly figure from our own time, rarely allowing ourselves to consider that in order for awakening to become real, we must make the transition from spectator to participant. The physical fitness revolution exploded when we stopped watching Jack Lanon on TV and started doing jumping jacks of our own. They say when popularity for NFL and NBA went up, the amount of people in the parks went down, so we're doing more watching than doing. 
The contemplative fitness revolution will begin when we stop looking for our spiritual heroes and start meditating. Step aside, sad guru. We're on our own spiritual quest. Chapter 2. Backstory. In 1982, I was a shinily, you can't say that on YouTube, depressed cocaine addict, a 23-year-old musician in L.A. I had a lot of free time to sit around being depressed and wondering how my life had gone so terribly wrong. I was trying to kick my cocaine habit and failing. One night alone at home, having exhausted all the cocaine in the house, spiraling into despair, I took four hits of LSD. And while I'm neither advocating drugs nor taking a moral stance against them, this is what happened. He was watching Jackie Chan enter the dragon. He's watching the scene where the guy commits a sepulcher. Watching the scene on television, I wondered about the changes that might take place in the mind of someone who had completely accepted death in a moment and yet didn't die. I was fascinated by the question, this theme of death and rebirth would set the tone for the evening. I went into my bedroom, closed the door, lay down on the bed face up. I had nothing left to do but reflect upon the unsatisfactoriness of my life. Guys, this is an existential tailspin here on four hits of acid coming down from a coke binge. Good, good. <laughs> Set and setting, fully fit. So yeah, this has nothing to do with meditation techniques. Probably don't do what he does. Quote, still pondering the question of death, I remember another movie I had seen in which an old Native American Indian chief climbs a hill and lies down on a funeral pyre. The pyre is not lit. It's just a bunch of sticks. The old man lies down on the pyre and says to himself, today is a good day to die. Hey, yo, you got 5G? No, I'm on Samsung. I was talking about 5G mushroom. Bringing some levity. Flat on my back, I began to meditate using a technique I'd learned from my older brother a couple years before. It was a simple concentration exercise, nothing more than looking at the back of my eyelids when my eyes were closed, falling into the blackness there. In the past, I had practiced it occasionally in an effort to relax to have an interesting experience of an altered state of consciousness. Alright, well, big homie, you're about to get sent into the shadow realm for it! I was meditating with a purpose, and I was thus engaged, earnestly attempting to will myself to death. An odd thing happened. It occurred to me that if I die, I will be opening myself up to whatever negative forces were out there in the ether. No, no, no. He's letting his overshield down. I wondered if it was what Christians meant by the devil, the very personification of evil. Interestingly, I wasn't the least bit religious. I thought religiousness was foolish. I didn't believe in God. I didn't... You better stop believing. But somehow, here, I was thinking, the devil's gonna get me. This isn't a Christian book. Don't worry, I'm not gonna do a 180 on you or something. I had never been so frightened. This fear lasted for a few months, and then I began to ponder a kind of equation of a good and evil. If indeed there was such a thing as this negative force I felt, then there must be such a thing as God. But everybody has this realization. And in the end... We're all going to win. Helicopter, helicopter. Jihad will save us. <laughs> Bro, some people you could see like their god power is stronger. Somehow this childlike idea of symmetry in the universe gave me just the courage I needed to take the leap. So I did. I opened up entirely and surrendered to death. Next was a kind of instantaneous life review. A thousand images flowed through my mind in a single moment. Images of things I had done, both good and bad. The theme was that actions have consequences. <laughs> Think? It was immediately and intuitively above the actions motivated by goodwill and had led to positive results while actions motivated by ill will had led to sorrow. This insight was implied matter of fact, no implied judgment or moralism. Here is everything I've done, and here are the consequences of each action. I'm saying we've been there. 
Enki is weighing your soul against a feather on the interdimensional scale of justice? We've all been there. I was being sucked into the sky faster and faster now. I was seeing that there was an end to the tube. And at the end of the tube was a light. Blinding, glorious, perfect light beyond imagination. I was moving so fast now that almost immediately after a first glimpse of the light, I was pulled into it and merged with it. And this was far and away the most ecstatic experience of my life. Because now I was one with what felt like universal consciousness. It was utterly mind-blowing spirit. You're on drugs. I thought this must be... And bro, there's something to this. I thought this what must be what Christian mystics meant when they said God. But it wasn't the person of God or Michelangelo's painting. It wasn't a man up in the sky. Dude, he's out there. In the light. This experience of merging with something infinitely larger than myself made everything else pale in comparison, and already I could see that it would end and that I would have nothing to show for it. Sounds like he's on heroin. There was a moan of proud grief. A moment later, I found myself back in my room, lying on my bed, facing upward, exhilarated, exhausted, annihilated, reborn. Now as it happened, my cocaine addiction vanished in that moment. So this is the type of shit that doesn't happen on heroin. Some reason after you go through the hardship of a psychedelic trip, like when you're on heroin, you feel good. You ain't feeling good when your body is being torn apart every single strand of DNA. I've been at the centrifuge. The toroidal field. My guy was vaporized. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks here. But I'm saying, for some reason, after you take this shit, you change. For the better. So he's saying his cocaine, he had no interest in it that moment after. There was no aversion, no negative feeling about the drug. I just wasn't interested anymore. My reaction to being offered cocaine was similar to what I might imagine being offered by someone with no judgmentalism. You're such a good person, Kenneth. I found myself on a quest to understand what had happened to me, to get it back, with the assumption that what I had glimpsed was somehow truer than my ordinary life. I wanted to be able to access it again, and ultimately find a way to feel like that at the time. Okay, so I'm saying, guys, don't be searching for this the rest of your life. This is what happens to a lot of seekers, I think. Why people get fucked up in this Buddhist rabbit hole. But I mean, it's good for you, I'm saying there's fitness aspects. But you can't always be seeking that shit. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime experience that happens. You'll see, we'll get deeper in. So yeah, Kenneth, just coincidentally, now he's sober. Eight years pass, he gets a wife, he has kids... He said his depression returned after eight years, and it was due to crushing mortgage. <laughs> but, 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 I thought a wife makes everyone happy. So, yeah, he got rid of his fucking cooties with meditation. Chapter 3, Retreat. He gets a, a new meditation teacher, Bill Hamilton. My first impulse was to impress Bill with what I knew about Buddhism and spirituality, because I was used to thinking of myself as a big deal. <laughs> I had this thing happen to me at the most people that hadn't happened. I'm like special. Or at least I wasn't talking about it with anyone. But within two minutes of meeting Bill, I realized he wasn't speculating. He knew far more about meditation and awakening than I did. I stopped talking and started listening. 25-year-older Bill Hamilton was a masterful communicator. He was eloquent, articulate, creative, and had a special way with concepts. He was the king of one-liners. When I asked Bill what it felt like to be enlightened, he said, Suffering less. Noticing it more. <laughs> Very important quote. I think this kind of shows that Bill is trustworthy. Rummaging around in boxes, Bill found a black widow spider. I would have just killed it, but Bill left it alone. When I asked him why, he told me that it was a kind of perceptive of the Theravada Buddhism. 
avoid killing. I was impressed by the fact that he not only knew about these precepts, but actually followed them, unwilling to kill so much as a bug. Inspired by Bill's example, I too adopted the precept of avoid killing sentient beings, and for years I didn't kill insects either. Incidentally, a few years later, I was at Bill's Island retreat in Washington State consisting of 20 acres of pine forest and Bill's tiny trailer, along with an extra motor home for a yogi or two to stay in. The fuck is yoga? I was the only student there at the time. One day I saw Bill smack a mosquito. <gasps> I said, I see you're no longer abstaining from killing insects. Bill said, last time I was on a meditation retreat in Burma, I felt like killing them, so I did. Bill has been following the non-killing precept for years. I interpreted this as not backsliding, but as progress. Notwithstanding the beauty of life without killing, Bill had come to a place in his practice and his life where he could question even his own dogma. So hell yeah, bro. Every like four years, you got to recheck your ideas and go, was that bullshit? And then you check again and you go, fuck. Holy crap. <laughs> but that's some shit that most people don't do. They're still running with ideas from high school. Bill told me about the four paths of enlightenment of Theravada Buddhism, discrete development landmarks that could be attained by symmetrically applying the Vipassana technique. We'll get into that, but if we've got any lazy listeners that are trying to get to the nut quick, as always, you can get enlightened by the do-nothing method. It's literally one of the methods they call it. We'll get into Vipassana, some high-tech shit, but literally do nothing. Just turn off fucking Instagram. I think, like, iPads are just brain damage machines. <laughs> the way it intercepts your mind and you need to look at a screen again. But yeah, I'm a fucking weird hippie. If you read traditional descriptions of the four paths, you will find reference to future rebirths and lack thereof. Saints, fetters, purification. If, on the other hand, you strip away the jargon, magical thinking, gratuitous mythology, hero worship, while making healthy allowances for hyperbole and hygography, the four-path model can be interpreted as describing an organic process of human development. So he's even saying, bro, it's going to sound very douchey coming up. It's mental fitness in thousand-year-old Indian terms. In other words, the ancient Buddhists were onto something. Bill was talking about something doable, and he believed there are many people living today who had these attainments, including Arhatship. So that's the fourth in the path. Arhat. Bill convinces Kenneth to sign up for a three-month retreat, the Insight Meditation Society. It's in Massachusetts. I spent the fall of 1991 on the retreat. I kept a journal of the entire ordeal. When I returned home and found Christmas time, I uh, sat down with Bill to tell him about it, reading directly from my notes. I read for two straight hours and literally put Bill to sleep. Bill told me that I'd gone through 10 or 16 stages leading to stream entry. If you're looking for sources here, he's going off the P of I process of insight. It's fucking an ancient map. So, like, I know the paranoid listeners are going, Bill is Charles Manson. He made him sign up for a three-month retreat. He's giving you fake cult legals. Levels, legals, negative. They're thousand-year-old words. We're probably not translating them right. The IMS kind of winds up being a scam, though, so... Taking the other side here. I found appalling that the teachers would withhold such valuable information... Surely I had known that my discouragement, confusion, and lack of motivation were normal. Like I'm saying, I went to the Shoshone retreat in the hills of Boulder. They're not telling you about the path. They're doing the fucking basicest level shit, making sure you're vaccinated, so you have to lie about that to get in. 
you're putting their lives in danger. <laughs> We're all okay. But they do withhold information. And so, Bill, he's going, Kenneth, you're ready for the big leagues. I'm taking you to Asia. Kenneth is like, I'm not going to be able to make it to Asia. I don't have any money. Bill says, just figure out how many pizzas you need to hustle to buy a ticket to Burma. Then get busy. Although I didn't earn much at the pizza store, my goal was concrete and I could see progress. I sold my car and bought a one-way ticket to Malaysia. I think I got that wrong before. He doesn't have a wife and kids. Yet. So he's going to a Burmanese monastery in Penang. You go to sleep at 9 p.m., wake up at 3 a.m. and meditate, altering one hour of sitting with one hour of walking meditation. Sometimes I would wake up at 2 a.m. If you whittle it down to four hours of sleep by going to bed at 10 p.m. and waking up at 2 a.m., you earn a smile from the monks and a sense of macho satisfaction. After breakfast, there was a work period. They give you a piece of plant, something like a palm frond, to use as a broom. You might spend 10 minutes sweeping the floor of the meditation hall. An ordinary broom would be more effective, but there is apparently some sort of ceremonial significance to the frond. And after all, it's not as though we're being pressed for time. After the work period, it's back to meditation, all day long with a break for lunch at 10 a.m. Lunch is the last meal of the day. Monks are not allowed to eat after noon. There was no special provisions. Holy shit. Nine hours of fasting, 12 to 9. You sleep for five hours, get up and meditate. <laughs> Looking at the workings of your own mind is rarely dull, and you encounter the whole range of experience from the most wonderful, amazing experience possible for a human, and I never wanted to leave the retreat. Not good. And how would you even YouTube that? You see, I couldn't bring the camera to the Shoshone. I'd rather fucking run an ultra marathon, and you get the same messages within a three-month retreat. The deep compulsion to let the process run its course to find out where it was going uh, was so strong. Or you could just do four tabs again. <laughs> I'm not advising any of these things. The show is a joke. It starts with <laughs> Now you're here. Now you're not. Now you're back. With no sense of the passage of time. And no memory of what happened in the interim. Yes, if this is your goal... No, I'm saying you got to experience this shit to expand your mind. And there should be an option to probably do these things in society, but yeah, whatever. So let's talk about that Vipassana. It's like a body scanning technique. I think Andrew Huberman has readings. He could fucking walk you through it. But this is some real level meditation. It's practicing on your consciousness. You start with the top of your head and you could fucking move the energy ball around, bro. No. Watching Rick and Morty is not meditating. <laughs> it's like trying to, you know, cut out the distractions. So I found that I suddenly had access to the four states. I had heard a little bit about the jhanas and what they were supposed to be like. We'll get into that next chapter. Chapter four. Don't stop retreating. <laughs> Gonna pick up the pace here. After Asia, Kenna moves to Alaska. He's working at an art gallery. And of course, there's like more meditators up there than you would think. You got Russians who could sit in the snow. They meditate for hours. Wim Hof swims in underground frozen lakes. 150 degree saunas for two hours. That's intense. Your ball bag would be hanging. I think the most badass modern guru, it's not any of these fucking... 
Nim Crowley Bobo. <laughs> Houston Jones. Look him up. He's a massive YouTuber. He punishes his body for views. This guy, like, whips himself with steel chains. He's got ancient torture devices. He did an extreme rug burn. He, he never flinches. He's an R-hat. I will go through the pain, so know that a man has to. So, yeah, this guy, Kenneth, he joins the theater. Uh, he's got a family in a cabin 20 miles away. They go fucking fishing. Bill Hamilton takes a flight up to Alaska to see him. He's going, congrats, you're level two teacherhood. He hits a gong. Third path was considered more difficult, rare, harder to diagnose. And in fact, although my attainment of stream entry and second path were self-evident, the exact moment in which I attained third path is not clear to me. Not good. So here are the nine jhanas. Sensation, joy, contentment, peace, space, consciousness, nothingness, neither nor, cessation. And yeah, if you get to level two, teacher, you're supposed to be able to flip through these things at will. I got a flat tire recently. I was on mushrooms. <laughs> so I was like going up the canyon, starting to... I'm starting to feel it. And not like I'm going to sit at the creek to meditate for a couple hours until it wears off. And I hit a fucking pothole. <laughs> so I'm coming up on mushrooms and I got a flat tire. Bro, I didn't even, like, panic. I didn't get angry or any of that shit for somehow. You think it's going to be the classic bad trip, man. Fucking killed it. Nine interchangeable jhanas. Daniel claimed access to a state called Niradhi Samapati. He's talking about Daniel Ingram. This guy's got it. Badass information. YouTube, he's got books for free. NS is a special meditative phenomena that is only to be accessible. Anagamis, those who attain the third path. Years later, though, perhaps in 2003, I found that I was able to access this. So, what's this guy's name? Kenneth is saying that he could do Narodi Samapati. Daniel and I compare notes, and it seems to be experiencing the same thing. So, this guy just had his own name for it. He's calling it, like, blipping out or something in the book. They're not making it sound good. One guy's going super Indian. One guy's making it sound like heroin. I'm saying... <laughs> it's something like awake sleep. So if you do 10 minutes of a breath exercise, you don't fall asleep. You're laying there on your back. But you, you know how you take a nap and you wake up and it's like you're in the middle of Vietnam? You, your body is in full control, but you, your mind isn't there. You have to, like, lay back down. After you meditate, you feel like you took a nap, but you don't have that bullshit where you're trying to wake up. It's like sleeping awake. Stop with these Indian shit. <laughs> Are modern people capable of attaining... Oh, my God, he's just being a douchebag. Are modern people capable of attaining such high levels of contemplative fitness? <laughs> I believe we are. In fact, it's hard for me to imagine what would prevent it. To the extent that the accomplishment of ancient meditators has been beyond our reach, I suspect it has been more to do with hyperbole and hygiene. You already said that, you fuck. Contemplative fitness is within everybody's reach, and contemplative excellence is therefore for us willing to dedicate our... It's a pursuit, okay? You're not going to wake up one day and see the light. Unless you go to a retreat, or your life's in the shitter and you escape with drugs. If anyone had said I would still be depressed and after the second path of enlightenment, I wouldn't have believed it. 
But as it happened by the standard diagnostic criteria I learned from the Mahai system in 1994, I did have a second path and I was still depressed. You're never going to not be depressed. But I'm saying, I even had a tire blowout one time I was driving to Los Angeles. I was in the valley of death. We got a number one victory for ya. Yo, I was going to get dropped on by Jonesy out there. <laughs> and I didn't fucking freak out. For some reason, once you've been to the brink of Satan's anus, a flat tire, it doesn't matter. I'm clinging to the edge of rocks. Not a big deal. Uh, by 2003, I believed I had attained third path too, but my life was still in shambles. There was a rift between what was happening and what I thought ought to be happening. One was uh, because you did the work in meditation and not in society. I could have had access to jhanas, but I was poor as fuck. This guy. <laughs> my spiritual opening on LSD in 1982 had sent me on a quest for enlightenment, and I was still caught up in that current. Good honesty. In June of 2004, I went on a retreat at Southwest Sangha, New Mexico. One day, walking under a pepper tree in the desert, I gave myself permission to be enlightened. This is the thing that the other teachers, the fucker that tongue-kissed the kid, the Dalai Lama, he's not going to tell you. You can give yourself enlightenment. <laughs> like, there's no official rank system. It's not like a school of martial arts. I'm saying you should probably teach other people and read a couple books, try to get them into meditating. Maybe that's path too. I'm fucking retarded, people. I don't think of myself as anything. On this day in New Mexico, reflecting on the question, have I suffered enough? I gave myself permission to be done. I was accurately aware of everything around me, the sights and sounds of the desert, the feeling of heat on my skin, the warm breeze on my face, the pulsing in my veins. It suddenly occurred to me, I was done. So he's going into it more at the Eastern philosophy. The essential realization that comes from this process is that there isn't anyone or anything to get enlightened because you're already like one with the universe. Dude. You work tirelessly for years to get enlightened only to find out you couldn't possibly get enlightened. Therefore, there isn't anybody for here for it to happen to. So I'm getting, I don't know if he took it in the right direction. I got some deeper things about other ways to might realize you don't have to seek anymore. But I like how he's being more honest than any of the other teachers will ever get to you. That's why I don't choose fuckhead books. Okay, I'm not trying to spin you guys around like a top. Let's get out. Get in, get out, get the, get the information. Don't get fucked up in nirvana for eternity. Take a couple mushrooms if you need to clear your head. Stop seeking death. <laughs> We're all that close to death. You need... <laughs> Whatever. I walked back into my little trailer in the desert and wrote on the calendar, I see the elephant. This was a reference to the parable of the blind man and the elephant. I'd been able to see parts of the puzzle before. Now it can, came together. We've done this analogy on the show. There's an elephant in the room. Everybody's blind. We all touch the elephant and we all could piece together what we saw. I'm saying everybody only gets a couple of fucking awakenings. So yeah. Took this motherfucker 22 years. <laughs> <clears throat> I fucking take GABA every day. Keep that blood-brain barrier low. I've been lifting since I was 14. So like 12 years I've been doing fitness, fitness. That's a teacher. And like I'm learning even deeper shit with this climbing. I made a joke about mushrooms. You mean I can like not be scared to death. Dude, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> 
But there's another relationship of that negotiator in your head that's always like, no, let's get up and watch TV. No, you're going to die. Rationalize your way out of this situation. Push. Do more. So he kind of brings up, like, Western philosophy here. I'm saying you could figure this shit out through fitness, through skepticism, through Western philosophy. He says, some say our hats are extremely rare. Although in my time in Buddhism, they were apparently as common as ants at a picnic. Whether there were a few our hats or many for that matter at any dependency. By one popular definition, an our hat is a kind of Superman. That's Nietzsche, okay, bro? You gotta walk across the tightrope. But the fucking overwhelming thing that's gonna happen is they're gonna fall off. <laughs> what do psychologists call it? Dunning-Kruger effect? Most people just give up in the middle after they realize that they're not getting there so getting there is any pursuit getting smart getting fit people just give up in the middle I'm not fucking you could project whatever you want onto me being done refers only in the attainment of particular landmarks along a natural development of a continuum use this for anything it does not mean contrary to hyperbolic legend that the arhat has erased all karma perfected him or himself those are children's stories for charlatans and starry eyed apologists Let's go. I have not retired to put myself out to pasture. I teach, learn, meditate, spend my time with wife, family, community, and run a business. But my purpose in teaching meditation is not to make clones of myself. I see contemplative fitness as analogous to physical fitness. I'm not trying to make minions with Nick's nonfiction. I want to free everybody, bro. It's physical fitness, too. Your contemplative fitness will be your own. There is no universal idea, no premeditated outcome. You don't have to do three hours a week. Ten minutes of a breath exercise. Even though this, like... I'm open to the idea that meditation, you might be letting out some inside forces. Demons. You know, sitting there not thinking. Bro, I'm not committed to anything. But there is a way to train your brain. If you want to be well-educated, go to school. If you want to awaken, meditate. Chapter 5. The Method. He starts out saying there's probably only a few hundred thousand people on Earth who have attained Arhatship. I'm saying this is fucking annoying because it's not scientific. There's no metric of what Arhatship is. Even before he goes, it's hard to diagnose. So now you're a fucking doctor. I've crunched the numbers, people. There's an amount of people who have made it to the bottom of the conspiracy. There's an amount of people who have made it to the bottom of the rabbit hole. It's around like 200,000. This guy's saying 100,000 people are fucking Arhats, dude. I'm saying there's an amount of the population who has an equal amount of skepticism as well as curiosity. But this is all getting too cryptic, bro. The numbers. He says, first gear. This is his meditation technique. A, Vipassana. It's a Burmese Mahatmi-style technique. I explained it before. B, pure connection. Practicing like mantras. Repeating words. So, bro, you could get to Jhana 9 in a minute. Just repeat the word finger, 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 finger. And after a minute, it starts to sound weird. And you get into the silly Jhana. And then you get into the sad Jhana. But what is a finger, dude? This is another way to meditate. And that's why Om. You could say anything. Dildo, dildo, dildo. <laughs> he says, uh, part three. Ecstatic dancing, whirling, speaking in tongues. So I'm saying, use your own method. The fucking Chinese do qigong. I do that shit in the park. Qigong. Now I have a China. I have a China. I have a China. I have a China. 
Qigong. The gear shift analogy points at the fact that it is possible to get more traction with nothing than with self-inquiry. Third gear practice is best done when it is already a good deal of momentum. This takes a great deal of momentum and a great deal of practice because you can't do this as much as you can allow it. A common landmark of the third insight knowledge is the experience of bright, persisting itching. Many meditators report solid, unbearable itches that seem to last for minutes and become more unpleasant with attention. I call it the sharp pinpoint itch, the kiss of concentration. Hmm. Scratching? You're applying to your dog DNA. That's kind of dope. If you focus on the itch, you might be able to unlock a new sensation. I'm going to open a school of feather training. I stand there and tickle you. You're not allowed to react. He says, try it now. Notice how suddenly thoughts have nothing to say. Speak. So he's saying to talk to yourself. Your mind becomes as silent as a church. So it's going to sound crazy, but that's a good one. Just go, I wonder what my next thought will be. And then shut the fuck up and what's going to come up next. And then you start to realize your patterns. That's like early meditation, bro. That's what people are scared of. Their fucking thoughts. People will give up television, reading, time with friends. They'll sleep less, take less time eating than usual, or leave aside habitual tasks that don't really need to be done. When I asked why they are putting so much aside, students reply that there is anything else they'd rather do. They just don't feel like meditating. The spike in practice hours is a phase. I think like doing your dishes can be meditating too. He says the next step is to notice patterns. Something focus on your thoughts while you do the dishes. Don't let that shit run wild. It's a little bit like chewing and swallowing. When you put food in your mouth, you begin to chew. At some point when sufficient chewing has taken place, you swallow. It's an involuntary reflex. You don't have to obsess about whether swallowing will occur. You're going to choke yourself if you think about it too much. If you do, chances are you will just get in the way. Let's bring it back to fitness. He says if you're practicing Vipassana, you're training yourself to meticulously observe your own movement and moment by experience. Concentration is the ability to sustain the mind on an object with minimal distraction. Concentration is the opposite of mind wandering. The focus of the mind during concentration can be narrow and laser-like. It can be wide, it can be diffused, where an entire environment is the object of attention. So if it's too boring to look at your pen, picture your room in a 3D with your eyes closed and let go f like a ghost. In Buddhist theory, concentration is one of the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors are... Mindfulness. The second practice of Buddhism. Investigation. Energy. Joy. Tranquility. Concentration. And equanimity. This show is enlightened. We have all seven factors of Buddhism. <laughs> he says, I like to define mindfulness as noticing that you are noticing. While a cat has wonderful concentration, it is hard to imagine that there is much self-awareness there. The cat does not notice that it is noticing, and hence, just try to get rid of the bad thoughts. Stop confusing people. <laughs> Final quote. The general arc of development goes like this. Meditation is easy, then it gets hard, then it really catches fire, then it all goes to hell, then it stabilizes for a while. 
It is from this platform of stability that stream entry, the first of the four paths of enlightenment, is reached. Even a meditator who knows nothing about the maps is likely to go through these stages. I have spoken with people who have found these maps later in the practice and looking back were able to recognize having been through the stages described. Because the development through these stages is not one of linear increase in happiness, knowing about the maps can manage the difficult path of the process. And again, it doesn't look real to anybody because I'm not making more money as I go through the paths. But I think going forward, you could probably go chase dollars harder as fuck. Since anyone who practices meditation seriously is likely to go through these stages, it is helpful to know them. Contemplative Fitness by Kenneth Folk. Hope you guys learned something. Mind and the body are one. Damn. So we got an outdoor edition coming up next week. Do not miss it out here on the road gotta fucking process all this (laughs) I love you guys thank you for staying tuned seriously I hope this benefits somebody enlighten yourself let's get a random soundboard effect to end it what kind of a so what is that oh yes uh, is that a space baby among us Nick Munez signing off peace